everybody. How are we doing? <laughs> Snowbound kids. How are you doing? Uh, okay, how many of you lost power? Raise your hand. How many of you are still without power? Raise your hand. Bless your heart. I'm sorry. As you can tell, just to begin with, I'm not Gabe. Oh. Uh, I don't have flannel on and I don't really have a beard. So um, my name's Carlton. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, it's been kind of interesting. I've been here over a year, but I've been on staff for about two months. And it always blows my mind how amazing the group of volunteers are when they show up. And just what looks like organization is a lot of times mass chaos. And uh, you guys do it so well. And uh, just as we begin, thank you guys for setting up and afterwards breaking down and doing all the things that you do. Um, we are in a series uh, about Advent called Expectant Worship. Um, and last week, Gabe kind of set the table, or as he said, teed it up, which if you've ever seen Gabe play golf, um, <laughs> never mind, uh, to set things up as far as what Advent is, and, and really, in all honesty, discussing what the concept and the, the idea of what worship is. And so he set it up for myself today, Matthew, uh, who leads us on Sunday morning, will be speaking next week, uh, as we begin this process of in the Advent season of moving towards Christmas and, and what Christmas is all about. And so just to kind of recap, Gabe talked about last week that there's three parts to consider worship when we look at it from the context of Advent. And the three uh, thought processes he has, number one, we always focus on what God has done. Secondly, we focus on what God is doing. And thirdly, we focus on what God will do during the Christmas season. Um, he defined worship as the natural response to what God has done, is doing, and will do. Um, and so as we begin and kind of step into that, I'm going to kind of talk about worship and, and the thought process of worship. And Matthew will conclude us next week as we deal with Advent. So you guys ready? That was a brief setup. Isn't that good? I'm, I'm doing my best. If I start freaking out, just, I've had coffee. So, <laughs> have you ever heard a word um, or a concept or a phrase that you really thought you knew what it was and you really didn't? Now, the guys in here should go, uh -huh, okay, because we're mostly guilty of this because, bless our hearts, we're morons, okay? Um, guys in here be like, man, no, I ain't a moron. Yeah, you are, okay? Okay. Um, I've been married for almost 18 years now, and, and I realize in, in most of our arguments, 99.97%, I'm wrong. <laughs> and it takes me a while to figure that out. So um, let me kind of illustrate this point a little. I'm going to prove to you how big of a moron guys are, okay, um, and how smart women are. Okay, now before the guys get all gangy up on me, if you're not married, bless your heart, okay? If you're married, you're just going to go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it was... 14 years ago, okay, right before my oldest son was being born, and my wife was pregnant, um, we were going through the process of, well, okay, she was going through the process of nesting, uh, and if you don't know what that is, it's when a, a woman's pregnant, and she starts changing everything in the house to get this done, taken care of. so we're in this process, and she comes up with this idea, she goes, honey, she goes, we painted this, we've done this, we've done that, that, and she goes, I want to get a glide rocker, I said, great. We need to get a glide rocker. You want a glide rocker. We need to get a glide rocker. In my mind, okay, I am defining what a glide rocker is because I don't know. <laughs> so what I have in my mind as a glide rocker is actually, ladies, you will know what this is, guys. I'm gonna, it's called a baby swing. A baby swing is a little triangular thing that you put the baby in, you crank it up, and they go back and forth with the baby in the little baby seat. 
So that's what I thought a glide rocker was. And she goes, well, we can get it, and we can put it over here, and we'll put it in the living, we'll put it in the den where everybody's at. And, you know, our friends can come in, and they can sit in if they need to. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait, wait a minute. She actually mentioned a friend of ours named James Hempstead, who is six foot three, 245 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. I'm like, there's no way James is going to fit in a glide rocker. And she's like, no, no, it, it's perfect because I can use it when I'm nursing. And then if her friends come over, they can sit in. And I've got this picture in my mind of this big hairy oaf with diapers and a pacifier going, sliding back and forth in a baby swing. We go for probably two or three minutes back and forth. Honey, that's not going to work. Why do you think it's not going to work? That, people are not going to fit in that. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Yes, they are. They're Finally, my wife has a moment of clarity and she says to me, what do you think a glide rocker is? To, at this point, I go, well, it's the thing with the triangle, and you put the baby, and you crank it, and you swing it now. Okay. So that you understand, my wife is the most compassionate, intelligent, loving human being I've ever met in my life, but she's also the most sarcastic. My wife, belly and all, went, <laughs> and began to laugh at me with a guttural laugh that I thought might bring on the, the, the birth of my child, okay? <laughs> she was laughing and pointing at me. Now, men in here right now, there's the hairs on the back of our neck. That doesn't go over well when the woman you love is pointing at you, holding her stomach, and laughing at you. <laughs> Not with you, at you. And I am, like, literally sitting here going, <laughs> okay, <laughs> What? <laughs> okay. It's really not that funny. Well, then she catches her breath and explains to me what a glide rocker actually is. And then I explained to her what I thought. And we laughed for 35 to 40 minutes about my stupidity. Okay. There's a time in your life when you have a concept or idea and you think you know exactly what you're talking about, but somebody else really knows what they're talking about. And then when you get together and you have this conversation, you realize how wrong you are. And sometimes it's comical. Sometimes it, it's horrible. Fortunately for me, that was comical. I told my wife I was going to say this. She goes, good, as long as you love the idiot, I'm fine. Um, but the mentality of it is when you don't understand what something is, um, it can ruin the application of that truth in your life. I literally thought a glide rocker was a baby swing. And so the pictures I had in my mind were completely different, and, and, and it ruins the application of that because I'm sitting here trying to think of my big buddy, James Hempstead, sitting in a baby swing, and it's just not going to work. And it happens that way a lot of times. Um, let me, let me kind of back up for a second here. When you lose the understanding of what a concept is and you lose how to apply it, it ruins a lot of things in your life. When we talk about Advent, we talk about worship, many times we have the synonymous things of worship and this other stuff and this other stuff, when really, in all honesty, Scripture paints a completely different picture. If you've got your Bibles today, we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Um, but instead of reading Scripture the way we normally read Scripture, we're going to do things a little different today. Um, it's Christmas, right? And at Christmas, when we think of Christmas, there are certain thoughts that pop into our head. This is the thought that pops into my head when it comes to the Christmas story. And we're going to let our friend uh, read the is Christmas story. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When you see that, does that bring back memories? I cannot hear that without getting choked up over it. And I don't know if it's because it's one of my favorite cartoon characters preaching God's word, or if it's just God's word. You see, when you think about this, the natural response for us when we hear the word of God is we're supposed to respond to it. And so how you respond to it really kind of is weird. Um, I want you to think about this. This is a simple cartoon telling a story, uh, the greatest story ever told. But I want you to look at the nuances of it, okay? Um, I'm not a regular, I, I'm not going to say the word preacher. I'm not a regular communicator in the sense that I don't, I don't give points. I just give thoughts. One of the main thoughts I want you to really kind of work with today is I want you to think about this. There had been over a 400 years of, of, of silence from God. God had not spoke for over 400 years. Had not said a word. Had not revealed, had not spoken, had not moved in any way, shape, or form that mankind could understand. And all of a sudden now, God's doing something. And not just something. God's doing something Incredible. No word from him. And the silence was deafening to his people. But what did they do? They kept living. From generation to generation to generation, they kept living, expecting, expecting, expecting God to do something. But nothing. Nothing for over 400 years. And all of a sudden, God begins to do something. God starts talking in a big way. Not a small way, a big Think about the communication that took place. Not just with the shepherds, but think about it. God began to speak to who first, Mary? Hey, Mary, you're favored. And guess what? In, in, in the way that you're favored, I, I'm inviting you to something. And something's going to happen, and it's going to blow you away. And I'm going to do something that they will talk about till time ends. And you're going to take part in that. God speaks to Joseph, her betrothed. Hey, Joseph, I know you're kind of freaking out because she's pregnant and you didn't do anything. And you're thinking, mm -hmm, okay, but I've done this work. I'm inviting you to something. Take her as your bride. It's okay. I want you to name him Jesus. Here's how it's going to work out. I think about her cousin, Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby, and your baby's going to be named John, and he's going to be full of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be amazing. And when he gets near Jesus, boom, he's going to jump, and you're going to ah, freak out because it's inside of you, and amazing things are going to happen. Zachariah, her husband, who was a prophet at the time, who was working at the temple, and God reveals to him, hey, we're opening up her womb, and we're going to give you John, and he's going to be the herald for the coming Messiah. And Zachariah is like, eh? I mean, we ain't never been pregnant before. I don't know if they use ain't in 
Jerusalem, but we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. I don't know if they've ever used this before. And he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got it covered. I'm inviting you to something. I'm inviting you to relationship. And as a part of inviting you to relationship, I'm challenging you to do something. And these things are happening. And God reveals in a big way. And things begin to happen. I want you to think about this. The word Advent, when we, we talk about Advent, and how many of you actually celebrated Advent growing up? Snap. Okay, this is going to be fun. I love Advent because Advent, as we talked about last week, Advent is, ex- the, the literal word means expectantly waiting. It's waiting for what's to come. We're celebrating. It's the four weeks leading up to the Christmas day. Um, and many times that works out that there's four Sundays. So there's four basic concepts with each Sunday. And they go hope, peace, love, joy, those four Sundays. And so we celebrate, each, each of those Sundays we celebrate kind of, okay, what does hope mean? What is peace? What is love? What is joy? We're going to cram it into one kind of thing right here, right now. Advent is expectantly waiting for what is to come and what is to come again. Christmas isn't simply about you getting a big bow and presents. Christmas is about Jesus has come, Jesus has been with us, and Jesus is coming again. again. Thank you very much. Do you not get that? That's the beauty. That's the amazing thing. When we talk about Christmas, it's not about presents. It's about presents. It's not about getting something. It's about the presence of God with us. And so we talk about Advent. We're expectingly waiting what has come, but what is coming again. And we know that all to be a a Jesus, okay? So when we talk about Christmas, we talk about Jesus. The beauty of that in seeing that we are expectingly waiting for what is to come and what is to come again, the idea that the first Sunday of hope, hope, here's a question, where's your hope found? We just answered that. Where's your hope found? Jesus. Thank you very much. Okay? So if your hope is found in Jesus, the kind of neat thing that comes to that is if our hope is found in Jesus, we now have peace with God through Jesus. Oh, wait. So two Sundays? Hope, peace. We're talking about Jesus. Hello. Okay? Moving from hope and peace, we have love. And I don't mean hate man love. I mean love. He first loved us. So in that he first loved us, we can love him and love each other. See how this flows out? It flows out from the Father through the Son and through the Spirit into us and to others. And the result of all this is joy. The result of the previous three of hope, of peace, of love is joy. We have joy. Where is our joy found? In Jesus. So we see this story unfolding And I want to really focus, let's go back to God's word. I know this is kind of tradition. But let's get back to what the word and what the word says. Beginning in verse 9 or verse 8 of chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Does anybody know who these shepherds were? They just some shepherds, certain shepherds, a flock of shepherds. Tradition says this is actually the shepherds that watched the sheep that were used for sacrifice at the temple. Tradition. We're not exactly sure on this. But you know God does things kind of a cool way. I'm kind of betting my money on that. These are the guys that are out tending the flocks that will be used to cover the sins of the people. 
watching their flocks by night. Interesting story. Shepherds weren't allowed in the temple because they were unclean. They were far from God. They weren't allowed to be in the temple because they were ceremonially unclean and you can't go in the temple if you're ceremonially unclean and there's an eight-day process for that to happen and sometimes it's a two weeks and kidding if you come into contact with feces or death and blah, 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 blah. That's what they come into contact with all the time. These guys are basically excommunicated from the church. So they're watching their flocks by night. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Anytime God shows up, I want you to understand this. Anytime that God shows up, People aren't going, woot, woot, he's here. Uh-uh. Go through the entire Old Testament. Go through the New Testament. When the Spirit or the presence of God shows up, people are struck with fear. Fear. I mean straight up fear. Literally, the Greek word is the word that we get phobia from. Okay, it's phobos. And when you look at that word, what it means, it's the fear of impending doom or great personal injury when God's presence shows up people freak out why let me get some great theologians in here why did why do people freak out when God shows up oh come on Cletus yes sir and, and I think we miss that I think we don't get that when God's holiness shows up our sinfulness shows out and in that process, we realize how holy he is, how sinful we are, and the fear of God is in our bones. You can look throughout scripture as this is happening, as this idea is happening, that literally go back to, um, well, let's go back to Noah. When Noah was just knowing, hanging out, God shows up and says, you're going to build an ark, fear of the Lord. When um, well, let's give me some other. I mean, you know, there's a guy that's threshing wheat in this wine press. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. You're supposed to do that up here. But this guy's scared to death. His name's Gideon. Gideon's scared of the, the, the Philistines coming to kill him. So he's threshing, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. <laughs> Fear of the Lord. New Testament shows up with Mary. Fear. Zechariah. Fear. Fear, 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 fear. Because the holiness of God is so holy and our sinfulness is so sinful, God destroys sinfulness in his presence. So when God shows up, it scares the snot out of us in a good way because it's reverential fear. It's awe. He shows up. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord surrounded them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Do you know what the next response to the angel of the Lord showing up is? Don't freak out. Okay? I'm here. Don't freak out. Fear not. <laughs> for, behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for to you, unto you, unto you. How many times have we missed that little phrase? For unto you is born. This day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be your sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's well pleased. And when the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord, and here's a key, has made known to us. See, in this movement, in this ideology, you have to understand, um, when this fear, when this weight came upon them, it, it didn't press them down so they did nothing. It actually lifted them up so they actually did something. I want two words that I want you to think about today. Just two words, not questions, but words. Revelation and response. Say it with me. Revelation and response. One more time. Revelation, response. Here's the ideology. When revelation happens, it is God revealing to you, to me, to them. It is literally the curtains being pulled back and you see what's behind the curtains. That's what revelation is. When revelation happens, when God reveals, he's not simply revealing for the fun of it. He's revealing so that we in turn can respond to his revelation. Here God reveals to them what's beginning to happen and what was their response? They went. When God reveals, it can be looked at kind of as an invitation. When God revealed to the prophets of old, it was an invitation to come and see what he was getting ready to do in and through them for his glory and his might. In the New Testament, when God revealed, he was revealing what had happened in the Old Testament so that they could see that was a shadow of what's to come in the New Testament. So all of that could point to Jesus and everybody go, Aha! That's it! He reveals, but in the revelation, there's a responsibility for us to respond to what he's revealed. What did he reveal to these guys? Hey, here's what's happening. There's a baby born. You need to go check it out. What was their response? <laughs> okay, let's check it out. And they did. And just as the angel of the Lord told him, they saw what he said. And in their response to that is, I love this part. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known. What'd they do? They told everybody. They made known that the saying had been told to them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Revelation response. Pulling the curtain back to see what's not seen. Response, active obeying the one who revealed. Invitation, challenge. When you think of it, invitation and challenge, invitation is an inviting to relationship. And I think we miss this because we talk about this great fear and awesomeness, that worship that happens. Friendship's not kind of the thing that kicks in our mind, right? You think of Jesus as kind of the flowing hair, open-toe sandals, listen to Elton John, kind of that dude, okay? You know, it's kind of, hey, man, you know, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> um, and then you read something like Revelation 19, where Jesus shows up on a horse covered in blood, but it's not his own. And fire shooting out of his eyes. And when he opens up his mouth, a sword comes out, and I quote, to kill the nations, who has a tattoo on his leg, and a name that only he knows, 
and his warriors show up in fine pressed white linen, if you show up to a war in fine pressed white linen, are you planning on getting dirty? Uh, negatory, no. We've got this picture of Jesus as kind of this, hey man, and when Jesus is really, that was when he came first, he came to make known who he was and what God desired. To glorify God the Father and to obey him to the point of death. I mean, think about it. The challenge, the responsibility in that relationship, that's the idea. If there's an invitation to relationship, there's a challenge in that relationship. It's simple but hard part of the gospel. He invites us and he challenges us. And in that, we respond to what he reveals. When you think about it in simple terms, doesn't it make it much more simple? God has invited you to relationship. In that invitation, he will challenge you through that process. But the invitation, that process of invitation, is through a deep level of love and understanding. What is going to be our response to that? That's what worship is. Worship is the action of his invitation. When God reveals and we respond, we respond one of two ways. One is, yes, we obey. The other one is, no, we don't. There's no middle ground. And in that, you show who you worship. If you say, yes, Lord, I hear and obey, I will do, what your servant, I'll do as your servant needs, that's called obedience. If you look at God and go, eh, no, I'll have my own ideas, and I do, it shows that you worship yourself. I'm sorry, there are great theologians who say things in these huge, I am the simple person. I, I mean, I've got a simple IQ. I need it down to the, the dummy level. I need Clifford's notes, okay? And this is when I look at the gospel and I look at what worship is. Worship doesn't need to be something that we look at and we go, oh, do I lift my hands or do I cross my arm or do I do this or do I hut, hut, hike? I don't know what to do. <laughs> worship is your response to what God has revealed. With, with awe and wonder. How many of you, when you were watching the snow, were just like, oh. yeah, I know, my wife and I were like, we were like a couple of idiots. <laughs> 49-year-old man doing this. Oh, yeah, take that man card away. Um, but, I mean, it's just one of those things, it's like a childlike response when you see something so incredible and so amazing. I mean, big, fat, honking flakes. We were all, and it was amazing. And when you see something like that, there's that awe, there's that wonder. When I go to the mountains, when I'm, I'm seeing a, a beautiful view, the first response in my person is, God, you are amazing. Look at what you've done. You did this simply so I could see it, so I could respond to how great you are. His revelation leads me to response. It's not that I, I have to. It's not that... I've got to. It's that I get to. When you look at worship this way, worship is not some institute that you go to. It's just simply responding to God's revelation. It's responding to his invitation. When you think of it that way, Oswald Chambers said this, and, and we'll throw this quote up here. It's a great quote. If you don't know who Oswald Chambers is, he's an old dude. Oswald Chambers said this in uh, My Atmosphere is Highest, you can never be the same after the unveiling of truth. The moment marks you as one who either continues on with even more devotion as a disciple of Jesus Christ or one who turns back as a deserter. This is a guy that did not mince words. 
In obedience, you either prove yourself to be a disciple or in disobedience, you desert God. These old dudes didn't have a middle ground. They weren't compassionate, loving, and kind. They just said, bleh. A.W. Tozer. All that God is, he is without limits or bounds. So as much as God is compassionate, he's also wrathful. So you can't play the game and go, oh, he's going to be all compassionate, loving, and he's going to over... No, no, no. But is God angry? No, he's just right. <laughs> he's not angry, he's just right. And this morning, God's kind of given you a couple questions. The questions are real simple, and I just want you to kind of respond to those questions. Um, when you think about his invitation at Christmas, what's our response to that invitation? He wants to move us from just emotional state to a motivational state. He wants to motivate us to move. He wants to move us from trying to be obedient and doing to being, which leads to doing. He wants to move you from religion. And everybody in here will say, oh, religion's a good thing. No, the definition of religion, as Webster states it, is man's attempt to appease an angry God. You will never appease God in and of yourself by what you do. Never, ever, 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 ever. What Jesus did paid for that. You can't do it on your own. It moves you from religion to relationship. It moves you from going to church to actually being the church. That's worship. Worship is... God revealing our responding in obedience to what he's called us to do. It's knowing. Oh, <laughs> I've heard this before. It's believing. It's, oh, what's that last one? Obeying. It's what we as a branch exist for, to glorify God by knowing him through his word, by knowing about his character, his nature, what he desires, by believing that he is who he said he is. He will do all he's promised he will do. And ultimately, it leads to worship by obeying what he says. Literally, two questions. What's God revealed to you lately? What's God literally jumped off the page of Scripture, smacked you upside the head and said, boo? Maybe not boo, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe it was a friend that said something. Maybe it was a quote that you heard. Maybe it was a sunset. What has God done to speak to you lately? What has he revealed? Second question is like the first. A part of his revelation is response. What's been your response to his revelation? Two questions to think about this week. Real simple. What's God revealed? What's been your response? What's God shown me and what have I done because of what God's shown me? This is worship. Acting out on what God has done. Well, how can we respond today? Well, to know, believe, obey by knowing Jesus, what he said, what he desires by believing in him and trusting in him and by worshiping him. That's what we say we do when we obey. That's one thing. But one thing we can really do this morning is by what we do every Sunday morning. One of the acts of obedience that we have is communion. Communion. Let's be real honest and clear. Communion is an opportunity to remember Jesus and what he's done to what he is doing, to what he will do. All of these things that we talk about as far as worship goes. Communion, remembering his body, which was broken for us, for sin, 
to suffer, to die, to rise again. We remember his blood. The bread is his body. The juice is his blood. That no sin can be forgiven without the shedding of innocent blood. His body broken. His blood spilled for the remission of our sin. He came to pay the price for our disobedience. Jesus came to suffer, to die, to rise again for the glory of God and for the forgiveness of all sin for those who would believe and trust. We get an opportunity to celebrate that today. We get an opportunity to celebrate it every Sunday, but let it mean more than simply eating some bread and dipping it in some juice. When my family goes through communion, I always say, this is the body of Christ that was broken. This is the blood that was shed that you would be forgiven of your sin. As we get ready to start communion, let us begin as he's revealed for us to respond. As he's invited, he challenges. Let's pray. Father God, we are amazed. We are blown away at the fact that a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all-loving God would know us in our weakness, would know our sin, would know the depths of our depravity, and yet still invite us to relationship. You're not mad, you're just right. And as we celebrate Advent, the hope, Jesus, you, the peace that you offer through Jesus, the love that you've given to us for us to give to others, the joy that comes out of that, that is what we celebrate when it comes to Advent, this expectant time of worship. But let us understand that worship is responding to your revelation. We don't want to misunderstand words, God. Especially a word like worship, because that is a concept that is huge. Let us obey you this Christmas season. As we take communion, may we remember what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. The focus is you. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,